It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of Aussies Only, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with The First Serve every Monday night on the SCN Radio Network at 7pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of how you can listen can be found at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Welcome to Aussies Only, the first serve's deeper look inside the game at home. Talking to those inside and outside the tram lines. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Aussies Only, all thanks to Latua Tennis. Head over to latuatennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game. They've just dropped a brand new hoodie and a mask, so make sure to head over to latuatennis.com to get your hands on their latest range. It's your host, Jed Zetter, and this week we chat to a very special guest. We've got a former pro player, Marvin Barker, on the show. Make sure to stick around as we unravel his journey and talk about the highs and lows and what he's up to now in 2020. But to start off with, I'm going to join Marvin and my co-host, Jake Eames, to talk about the upcoming US Open and dissect the Aussie matchups in the first round. Eamesy, I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce our special guest. Yeah, really looking forward to the chat today. He's actually a great mate of mine and we grew up together. And uh, one thing I've always loved about him is the, the way he pushes me to think about new things with a fresh eye. And obviously, tennis is one of those hot topics. Welcome, Marvin Barker. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, boys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've been listening to a few of these and... Uh... Yeah, it's always like hearing, hearing what you guys got to say. Cheers. Marvin, it's great to have you on the show, and we're going to get stuck into your story. But just before we do, fellas, have you been watching any of the Western and Southern Open going on in New York? And if so, what has caught your eye? I haven't really been too inspired to watch it, to be honest. Um, I've been having a gaze at the, the results, um, but I've, I've only watched one match. I watched Evans and Rublev, just because I yep. like those guys play. I know they compete hard. Just love watching Evans just because he's super crafty. Um, but um, I thought it was, yeah, pretty entertaining just to watch. But I mean, just to watch tennis again. But I don't know, it's not the same. Definitely not as entertaining as what, a, what it used to be. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely good to see tennis back. It's, it's great to be able to like have that to watch, especially in lockdown here. Marv, what have you thought about the, the no crowds at the moment, though? Oh, it's pretty pretty tough, you know, like just to watch the guys cruising around, you know, playing some incredible points and just to hear just to hear the echo of <laughs> of that last shot being hit, that's literally all you hear. It's um it's it's a strange one for sure. I think we maybe take an AFL approach and just put in some fake crowd noise or something, I don't know, put in some some additional drama. I don't know, I'd I'd be probably more more keen to hear that just for just for a laugh at least. <laughs> 
No, I mean, I'm the same. I, I love watching tennis for what it is, but I feel like this week has really opened my eyes to the fact that the crowd is so important for tennis. Yeah. Uh, seeing seeing the people's reactions in the stands is just... It's 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 a massive part of the game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, like you know, everything around us in life is all energy. You know, it's like you, you, like when you're cru- cruising around outside and you see people pumped up, you get pumped up. You know, when you're outside and you see a bunch of sleepy old geezers, you become a sleepy old geezer. If you're out there and you're you're feeding off the crowd, you're going to be pumped up. You know, if you're out there and it's empty, then you're going to be empty inside. You know, so it's just, you know, it's just that's how how energy works. You know, it's it's tough to to feed off nothing, and that's what's going on at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Jed, I know um, for you, you woke up and watched the Millman match at 3 or 4 in the morning. It was a, obviously a tough match there in, in three sets. Millman, Isner, Marv, how do you see that matchup? Oh, tough, tough matchup for, for Isner, I reckon. I think it's actually a pretty good matchup for Millman. He returns really well, he makes a lot of passes. I mean, the score doesn't really surprise me. A couple breakers, you know, tough win to Isner. That's what he does best. He just sort of clutches it out in breakers. So, yeah, I didn't didn't watch the match, but the result doesn't surprise me. Yeah, absolutely. I I have to agree with you. I think that matchup actually favors Johnny. To be honest, um, he's probably one of those players, isn't he, at the top end of the game that Millman wouldn't mind coming up against. But yeah, I mean, Johnny's going to have his hands full. We'll quickly talk about the U.S. Open draw that's come out. We'll start with the men, guys. Millman, he's been drawn against the twenty-second seed. Now this guy is a he's a fan favorite, I think. Uh, Nicholas Basilashvili. Now, have either of you watched him? I'm gonna I'm gonna ask both of you. Have either of you watched him live? And how do you feel? <laughs> Crushes oh, you the ball. Played him. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Tell us. Well, you've got the insight. Tell us about him and how, what does Johnny need to get, do to get over the line? Oh, I don't think what my, what my information was against him ten years ago in a doubles match is at all relevant today. But um, I think Milman will take him, to be honest. I feel like Basilashvili is one of those guys that just gets hot in um, in a two-set fashion. If you look at his results and where his rankings points have come from, it's generally from playing really hot in like a 500 event. I think he's won three 500 events over the last two years. He's, I don't think his slam record is incredibly good. He's, he's just one of those guys that just turns on. And in five-set matches, that's not, not what you need. You generally need to be pretty, I don't know, pretty, pretty steady, you know, well well-leveled guy who's, who brings it to the table every single day. And that's what Millman does. And that's what Millman does well in slams. So I don't know. Absolutely. It is a watering affair on paper, but I reckon Millman will get him personally. Yeah. No, that's, an, that's an awesome preview. I, I actually agree with all that. I think that, yeah, as you mentioned, Basilash really not as impressive at Grand Slam level. And that is where Johnny really gets his hands dirty. So it's going to be interesting. Another man, one of our Aussies, Mark Pullman's, he is... He's impossible not to like. He just goes about it the right way, you know, leaves everything out on the court. He's a digger. Jake, I want to ask you, I mean, you watched a bit of him at the Oz Open. He's got a tough first-round match against a young American, Marcos Giron. What are your thoughts on that match-up? And have you been able to see Mark hit, you know, in the last couple of months? No, I haven't been able to see Marky hit in the last couple of months. I know he's been putting in the work, though, plenty of hours on court. Um, and plenty of hours off court as well. I think that's a it's a tough matchup. I think it's going to be a close, close one, possibly four or five as well. Obviously, Giron's he's a small player, a good clean ball striker. Probably Pullman's got 
a little bit more versatility, I think, maybe to, to, to win that one. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be a close one. You, you see Marky at the moment is obviously trying to transition himself into Grand Sam's level, and he normally starts off with a few blockbusters. So it could be, it could be another one on the cards. What do you think there, Marv, as well? Uh, yeah, I think Giron's, yeah, it's just a classic American grinder kind of thing. You know, just a product of the college system, works really hard, just, yeah, just grinds and competes. Nothing too special, in my opinion. I mean, Mark does have that, that grinder mentality. He does also have the ability to come forward and mix it up. So maybe, maybe, maybe Pullman's variety could potentially throw him off a little bit. But I don't know. It's a 50-50 one, in my opinion, providing mm. both fit and healthy. Yeah, don't know who's going to win that one. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that's probably a 50-50. James Duckworth, he's got Salvatore Caruso in the first round. An Italian player who's actually had some really good results in the last 12 months on the tour. And also another Italian versus Australian matchup, Jordan Thompson against Stefano Travaglia. Are those matches that our Aussie men should be winning? And we'll start off with you, Marvin. Do you think that, you know, these are matchups where they definitely should be winning our Aussie men, seeing as they are ranked higher? I don't know about definitely. I don't think there's any definites coming into this event, really, just, just based on, you know, people's lack of match fitness and people don't know where or how they've been training or how their body's holding up. I feel like it's just such a such a new new look into what's going on. But um, I feel like, you know, those guys on a hard court in Grand Slams to be the favourites. You know, I, I, I don't really know how... Salvatore Caruso or who's the other guy he's playing? Uh, Travaglia. Travaglia is yes. an older guy, I think, and he's been around for a while. I don't, I don't, I don't know who's going to how they how they're how they're tracking or or how they how they really do in slams. But I know Duckworth and Thompson in five sets. They're, they're pretty on hard court. I don't know. I reckon. I reckon they're they're, they're the slight favourites. Surely, really. I'd agree there, Marv, as well. That there's definitely no you know definite wins out there, but. One thing I think for sure is that there's opportunity in this in this draw. It's 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 weak for a slam. Um, you know, if, yeah. if Thompson gets the win, you know, his seed is um, Leovic. If Poland gets the win, it's pretty tough against Kajinovic, I guess. And then Duckworth has got got pair. So there's there's just there's there's no definite wins, but there's a lot of opportunity to push through, you know, a few rounds yeah. at least. And you know those you know like you know, Thompson and Ducks are just such classic diggers. You know, they're just, they're just going to go out there and give it their all regardless of the crowds or over anything. You know, they're not the kind of guys that will need a big crowd to fire them up. You know, they, they, they will see this opportunity and, and just make the most of it, I reckon. So, yeah. Uh, absolutely. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I think they are, they are genuine diggers. Now, Alex Demonar has got Andre Martin in the first round, but the man that I'm looking forward to seeing most... Now, he's going to be donning the Latour gear. He is the biggest digger going around. Chris O'Connell, in his Grand Slam debut at the US Open, he's played Australian Open before, but this is a huge moment for him. He's got Lazlo Jerry in the yeah, first round. Play quarter, Jerry. I've watched a bit of him. He won that 500 yep. rear year. He got yep. his rank real high. I don't think he's done a heap since then. I'm not too sure, but yeah, great first round, I reckon. Oaks will have that that underdog next to him, which will ease him up. But also at the same time, he's not a massive underdog. You know, I think Jerry's got a lot to lose there. So it's a good thing. Good, good, good first round for Oaks. What has Chris got to do using his game? What are his strengths that he'll need to bring to the US Open to get through to potentially set up a massive matchup against Daniil Medvedev? Uh, 
Oh, just gotta just gotta make balls and make Jerry win. I reckon. I reckon you know Jerry's just a you know clay quarter with a you know heavy heavy Western forehand. Um, yeah, just just make balls, make Jerry come in, and then Oaks will just make him play with pass. You know, Oaks does so well at just chipping every return back, and you know making the dude put him away with a volley. And I don't I don't know. I haven't watched Jerry volley heaps, but if he, if he just makes him put him away, then Oaks can just say too good. But you know that's that's the way I see it really. I think yeah. US will, will suit Oaks quite well. Um, he's done yeah. quite well there on the Challenger circuit. Um, we, know, we know, like, as you said there, Marvie likes to use his chip, especially off returns. And, you know, you'll be able to keep it low against Jerry and, and be able to use the pass. And that, I, think he's got, I think he's got enough, he's enough firepower to hit through Jerry as well if, if he's on. Oaks is one of those guys, if he's, if he's seen the ball well, um, as we saw against Rublev at Aussie, he can, he, can, um, he can catch fire and just hit guys off the court. Yeah, do you know what he's been up to, Oaks? I know you're all good mates with him, Eames. Um, have you have you chatted to him? Has his prep been good? I know he was on JobKeeper for a while. He's on the same same program as us. So, yeah. What's yeah, I know. I spoke to I spoke to him um, a couple of months ago. Um, obviously, he was aware of this coming up. He was a little yeah. bit concerned at the time of like not getting burnt out, so not overworking um, because he didn't know how long obviously the the layoff time would be. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I know he's, I know he's put put in the effort though, and and yeah, physically sweet. feeling good. I think he had I think a month or so ago had a little bit of a, a niggle in his arm. But from what I hear, is is all good and, and ready to go though. Awesome, it's exciting. Fantastic to hear. Yeah, look, that is as I said, the match that I'm looking forward to seeing. I know we're all massive fans of his game and his story, and that is one to me that just stands out when looking at the draw. As you know. Just a match that I really want to watch. Now, just very quickly, touching on the women, they didn't get a draw as comfortable as the men, I would say. They've come up against seeds. Astra Sharma, she's got the 19th seed. Yastremska, Lizette Cabrera, she comes up against Kovinich, Maddie Inglis against 24th seed Magda Lynette. And this is the big match that stands out to me. Arla Tomljanovic against Angelique Kerber. Now... Angelique Kerber's a brilliant ball striker. Do we think Arla's got a chance in this one to potentially cause a massive upset? Um, I think coming into this event with the lack of match practice and everything, I'd say anyone's got a chance for anything. So this is a great opportunity for her. Yeah, she's got an awesome backhand. Just got that, I don't know, just a good athlete. So I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, she's probably got a chance there as well. I think the lack, lack of math practice, as Marv said, is, is, is a huge factor into this. I'm looking forward to seeing all these matches. Fellas, thank you so much for providing us with a real in-depth analysis of some of these matchups. It's awesome to hear from... Do we know what's up with Popperin? I, I didn't see his name in the draw. Maybe I didn't, didn't see. I don't know. Do we know if he's playing or what's up with him? So Alexi's actually in Europe. He's not going to be traveling to the oh, States. He's not going. He He's, no, he he's he's actually playing challenges. Um, he didn't want to he didn't want to risk his health and head over there. So he's he's staying in Europe on the challenger tour. But I'm sure if the French Open does go ahead in the next couple of months, that he'll probably feature there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, it's time to get into the real business here, Marvin. We haven't got you on to analyze the games. We want to hear about your journey. Now you grew up in Melbourne. How did you first get into tennis? Oh, just um, just at my local tennis club, Hampton Tennis Club, when I was about seven or so. I remember playing a bit of ping pong with my mum when I was real young, and just loving. It. I've got I've got a bit of an obsessive personality. I'm not the most talented 
guy naturally, but I just have the ability just to find something and just get super hooked on it and just, just do it over and over again. And that's what happened with tennis. I just sort of, I love the independence of it. I, I played a lot of sports growing up. I played a lot of footy, a lot of cricket, um, but I really hated the fact that I could do it and get progressively so much better in about five or six month period. And then I'd be absolutely frothing on it. And then people would be like, oh, season's over. Let's, let's play cricket now. I'd be like, I'd be like all right, I just, I just want to, I want to keep doing that and vice versa. And then, and then tennis gave me that independence of being able to do it on my terms and just continue doing it well for 12 months, you know, year after year after year. And I just, that's how it happened. I just, yeah, it's the independence of, I didn't need my mom or dad. I just needed a wall or I needed a few friends, home phone numbers that I'd call up and I'd just go do it. And then I, then you, you know, as you, as you know, you just have, you get invited to squads, you get, you get, you get invited to different things and you get tournaments and, I don't know, I just love the independence of it, just taking taking a bus or a train into into into, into the tennis tournaments and doing it all on my own. I love that about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really uh, a bit of a lifestyle for you that you liked and, and we'll touch on obviously going on the tour later, but it really is a bit of a journeyman lifestyle. You, you picked it up pretty quick, mate. You, you won a nationals title. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that week? And we're we expecting to go deep. In the week that you won um, your first nationals title, um, uh, and and can you remember any matches from it? Uh, yeah, it was. I won a fourteens and a sixteens nationals actually. Fourteens um, was in Gosford. I think I beat Stephen Ho in the final, six and six. Um, I remember it was a, it was a fun couple of weeks. We had the teams event before that, so like Victoria versus New South Wales and every other state, blah blah. Um, yeah, we won that as well, and then I won the singles after that. That was pretty good. Uh, there was nothing. Super, super important to remember about that, really. Um, I was a lot taller than everyone. I mean, I, I feel like I had an advantage in being a bit, bit taller and developing perhaps a bit earlier. So, yeah, the 16s was a bit more special because I got a wild card into Oz Open after that. So, I think 16s, yeah, beat a few good players. Kubler, Queenan, Szczynski. Um, but like guys like Duck, Duckworth and you you were in the draw as well. Um, probably other good players in there, but... Yeah, they were, they were definitely the highlights. I suppose if you're looking at it on paper relative to how underwhelming my career was after that, 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 was, that, was, that was good, yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. And I mean, those types of weeks always, I'm sure, you look back on and just reminisce. Marvin, you started serving and volleying a lot more, changing your game at a young age. You mentioned before that you were one of the taller guys. Was Was that the reasoning behind this? Did you try and use that to your advantage or was it, you know, who who made that decision? Was it more you or your coach? It was it was probably probably mainly me. I I, I definitely like the the element of just chipping and charging. I I've always done things the way I like to do them, whether it be the best way or not the best way. I'm pretty stubborn and um, pretty independent with the way I go about my things. I mean, that's, that's still the case now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just 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 the just the fun of it, really. I just I just love just chipping ball short and coming in and guessing and just screwing with people, doing drop shots. And I don't know, just, part of it was just being a bit of a smart ass, really, I think. And I just, it was a fun way to play. Yeah, it definitely, definitely hurt me in the long run. I probably should have developed more of a solid all-round game. But, and because I guess chip charging was definitely a dying breed. I mean, and it died in the 90s, really. And I just sort of kept doing it in the 2007 and 2012 when I stopped. So, yeah, I just, yeah, did it and out of fun. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty cool that you're actually doing it out of fun because that's, that's something that uh, when all the pressures come into tennis with, with finance and traveling and rankings and stuff, it's the enjoyment. Sometimes it gets put in the, in the, in the background. So it's, it's really cool that you're obviously doing it cause you love it. 
if you you mentioned there that you would have liked to have developed a little bit more, more of an all-round game. Um, yeah. Did, did you, so you never really thought about, okay, will this be good for me in the future? Or were you, did you love a few players from the 90s or from the 80s yeah. even um, that, that you just like to replicate? Yeah, I like watching Pat Rafter and I like watching guys like Michael Lodra. I like watching Santoro. I just like watching the super crafty players. I like watching, you know, Henman, guys like that. Um, but I wasn't physical enough to be doing it properly, you know, and, and, and the game changed before my eyes as I was developing. And I, mean, I, had, I had guys, I had, I had plenty of coaches telling me to, to also, you know, keep, keep coming over the ball as well. But um, I just was a bit stubborn and just enjoyed it too much. Um, I don't know, I was just, just, just a young, you know, know-it-all kid. So I just sort of probably just didn't listen enough, really. Yeah. <laughs> you reached the top 800 in singles and the top 400 in doubles. That's an, you know, an incredible achievement. You stopped playing, though, at quite a young age. Yeah. Can you, tell us, can you tell us a bit about your decision to stop and, I mean, the reasoning behind it? Yeah. Well, I sort of just, just a classic case of getting into things too young. You know, I was sort of travelling around, you know, Europe and the States and Oz playing futures from the age of 16, 17. I kind of did, did all right at a young age and probably had a bit of a delusional hope of getting to, getting to the top too soon when in reality I probably should have gone to college and you know just worked on my physical development a lot more and mental development more, more so than anything because I was very mentally young just a pretty wild smart ass kid um and and I just I just enjoyed traveling I like the independence of it and um yeah I just got burnt out too too soon I, I ended up doing quite well before I quit I was up to about 330 in doubles I was pretty much focusing on doubles only that year um yeah I was sort of worked out what I did well and what I didn't do well then I got injured. I broke my ankle showing off to, to my girlfriend and a few friends in Mexico. I was just, yeah, just did a, did a silly stunt. I was always a bit of a loose cannon. And I just showing off. I was like, I'll oh, check this out. And I jumped off this um, bridge slash balcony thing in this resort. We were staying out into a pool and I under rotated and, and um, went pin dropped straight into the, into the, into the um, ground. And um, yeah, broke my ankle and it was going to be about 12 months plus before I could return to the game. And I was like, Oh, I just don't, don't know if I can go through another long-term injury break. And nor do I even deserve the opportunity to go back in. I just sort of just didn't look after my body well enough. And in that time, I, I, I moved back to Melbourne, started coaching and had a few other hobbies like surfing and stuff. And I guess at the end of the day, I just didn't want it bad enough. You know, I'm not going to lie and act like I was hard done by or didn't have the opportunity presented to me. I just, yeah, just, just got injured, didn't, didn't look after myself well enough and, and didn't have the desire to come back after that. Yeah, so yeah, looking back at it, probably should have just, should have, shouldn't have travelled so young and should have looked after my body better. But uh, mm. it was a hell of a fun, hell of a fun time doing the process. Though I don't have a, I know I've got a, a wealth of fun memories and and um, and knowledge for how to how how to do things and how not to do things. So I, I can definitely guide people in the right direction and steer them away from the wrong direction. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You notice when after you stop playing and guys that just hang on, just keep fighting, keep ticking the boxes. Yeah, uh, they sometimes come out the other side. It was there, or was there a time where you fully committed to you know a double schedule, or is that something you would have maybe liked to have, I guess, continued and just stuck out a little bit longer? Yeah, I, I actually, I me mean, even prior to the injury, I was, I was actually starting to turn the corner and do do quite behave well, and was 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 operating at a pretty respectable level, uh, which was which was definitely not the case for for a couple of years there, where I was still trying to play singles. But you know, I don't know. Yeah, it was just. Just, just, um, just unfortunate that the law of averages caught up with me with, with doing silly things and injuries, I guess. And 
And yeah, I mean, if I hadn't have done that and got injured, I would have liked to have kept going. And I feel like, based on what my results were doing, I would have, I would have, I would have certainly probably been at least playing challenger levels or challenger level doubles, and maybe knocking the door of top hundred pretty quickly. Considering I was only twenty one and doing all that, you know, I only we had six months of playing proper doubles, and I was at three, three thirty, um, and I was my game suited it as well. So we pretty tall, had decent volleys, good serve. So yeah, but like I said, you know, it's all about perseverance, and if you're not if you're not doing the right things and you're, and you're, not, you're not competing day in, day out, you're not going to do it and you don't deserve to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we've spoken about this before. Obviously, I had quite a strong focus on singles and you had you know, just a natural, just for your game, it naturally adapted well to, to doubles, especially as the singles game was changing, as you mentioned. Yeah. But one, one thing that I find very interesting, and we've spoken about this briefly <coughs> in private conversations, is the importance of your, your doubles partner and trying to hustle doubles partners and how that can kind of like springboard your career in, yeah. in, in, in the double scene. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it's important to, to know what suits you well. Like I know I pretty much could only play exclusively forehand side because I had a one hand that I didn't really get crossed very well. So I had a bit of a, more of a Nicholas Mahu style doubles game where I was, you know, pretty good, good at the net and, you know, pretty streaky returner. Played play good on the juice court, so I, I like to play with guys who are, had a, got good solid two hander and plugged lots of returns in the court. And I didn't I didn't really need to play with a big serve because I could just sort of stand real close to net. Had good reflexes, good 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 reach. So yeah, I, it's good to understand that. And I try to encourage the kids that I coach to try and to try and look for those those ideal matchups and um, and just understand what type of game you you have. In the, on the doubles court, you know, because that's what I love about doubles. I, I actually watch a hell of a lot of doubles on the pro tour and even at the Aussie Open and, and on tennis, on my tennis TV account. So much diversity, you know, you've got so many different styles of players. You've got dudes who stand back and crunch forehands. You've got guys who serve volley. You've got, you know, you've got the, the Colombian guys who actually kind of prefer serving and, and hitting lots of backhands. There's, there's a lot of room for lots of different types of players. Um, and I think it's quite, quite a diverse range of styles out there which I find interesting. In terms of your coaching, your doubles returns, reflex games that you do with your kids, you know, to make it fun. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, you know, there'd be a lot of coaches out there listening that may be able to gain a new drill that they can do with the kids. Yeah, I mean, you just, just do lots of variations of, of, um, of doubles dances kind of thing. You know, you just have your have your one player returning and then have you have your one up the net. And so you just, you, you stand at the service line and just plug serves at them and get, get the, get the net player on your side to be crossing and moving all the time. And, you know, it adds that element of, of, of adrenaline as well, because there's, there's, there's tubing involved. And uh, unless you're coaching some really soft dudes, the kids love it, you know, kids love that, that element of, of, um, of shock or getting hit or, you know, wanting to get your mate back after a tube, whatever. And it's really fun. Yeah, there's lots of lots of different ways to do it. You know, just just look, just watch the game and just look at the relevant patterns that they're doing and and get that involved in in the kids' development. Even if they don't love doubles, just just get them to do it. It's really fun. Keep them going. Yeah, hundred percent agree. It's it's super fast paced when you do a lot of doubles drills. Um, you know, I, I've seen you coach in academy settings where again you bring that team element to training as well. Where you know tennis is normally independent. An individual, and once you get you know four guys on a court, it can definitely be something really exciting. Do you think for the doubles drills, uh, would you prefer feeding drills, or do you like to see it like within certain returns? Uh, I like both. I mean, I like just sort of stand on the baseline and just just 
plugging balls cross court and getting the, the, your 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 student or pupil to just pop up out of eye formation or just anticipate a cross and and plug balls and even then if you've got two players you can have that person punching balls at your partner or you can have your partner staying back so you just you're just simulating like those first two or three shots in a doubles doubles point scenario which is pretty much how all points are won in doubles you know they generally last one to four shots and it's, it's kind of good to get that get that going so kids get out there and and understand how to play the game because it, it was quite eye-opening to me when I, when I played in America I played a more of a traditional style doubles when I was growing up you know kind of like the woodies you just serve and volley cross the whole time and you know, without too many different scenarios, you know, picking up balls off your toes. But then I went to America and I was like, all these guys are just crossing on everything, serving and staying back and crunching forehands. It was just like, whoa, this is, this is so new to me. And I was just, I just took me a while to, to, to wrap my head around how, how, how guys could just serve, stay back and cross. And, and, you know, you watch the guys playing now and that's how a lot of it's played. You know, you just, guys are just standing so close and they're just playing the, the, the margins and the, and the angles so well. It's pretty much just like a numbers game. It's just like, percentages game of where to stand and where to hit leave the tram tram lines open so yeah it's, it's interesting it's, it's quite fun as well quite fun to do Incre- it. the time flies when you do it as well you know you just the energy's high you're feeding off the energy the kids are loving it so yeah i feel like it's a good one to incorporate that's some incredible insight really and i mean marvin you're obviously very passionate about the doubles game and i love this because i personally love doubles as well and at the australian open this year the story of the of the tournament for mine was Max Purcell and Luke Savile's run yeah, to the awesome. final. That just, that just really. And just, yeah, getting close, rolling high energy. It was, it was awesome. I watched all but one of one or two of their matches throughout the event. It was great. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that for me was, was almost the story of the open. Super under highlighted. It was so disappointing how little coverage that got. Cause like two young guys, wild cards, making the final and I'm barely any of my friends from outside of tennis knew about it it was poorly poorly advertised by the by the seven crew or nine crew whoever was running it yeah I 100% agree I was I was you know doing everything I could to pump the match up but it was it was just it was just an incredible run and I mean you look at two guys two genuine diggers going at it just playing with their heart and soul which is something that I yeah. mean, just just for me, I get very very um, attracted to that brand of tennis when you can just yeah. see two guys who genuinely yeah. love the game. They're doing it out of passion and love, and the en- and yeah, I mean, energy is the right word. The energy that they brought, and I mean, some of the players that they came up against, you know, if they didn't bring that heart and soul, it wasn't even necessarily that they, you know, were better players. It's just you know the attitude that they bring to the court, the energy. That's what got them over the line. Now. Doubles tennis is, it's awesome. And I 100% agree with you. It doesn't, you know, get the attention it deserves. How could tennis make the doubles tour more marketable? I feel like, I feel like doubles can be awesome. It can also be horrendous as well. Um, you can get some really bad matchups and it can be a real snooze fest. So I think that's where the problem lies. It's not consistently awesome. Um, I feel like maybe there could be some adjustments in the scoring or even even the way that the game's played. I've, I've had a few ideas. Maybe they're a bit left of centre. Some people might scoff at them. Some people might like them. But mate, let him rip. Them. Let him rip. I'll, I'll let him rip. I don't care. Let's hear him. With their lawn tennis, uh, you know, <laughs> on in their vests, um, they'll be they'll be dying in their grave hearing what I've got to say. But no, I reckon maybe try and like try and make doubles even faster. Like I know I know that 
in I know doubles is a fast paced game, but the reality is it's it's a second fiddle um, structure and format to the singles game, and it always will be. It, it, um, so I reckon they they need to have almost no change of ends, maybe a quick sip of water, because reality is it's not a super physical game, you know. So if you if you can just get rid of that ninety to two minute break on the change of ends, so the fans who are watching can just watch more of it, that that'd be ideal because they do change ends a lot quicker because quite often they're holding to love or whatever. Um, make, maybe make the 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 points uh, the between points um, amount of time shorter. Maybe like make it ten seconds. So they're just basically they're jogging in between points. So that way it's just like constant fan interaction and action. Because the reality is the points are quite short. Um, so you don't want to be labouring around for 30, 40 seconds in between every point. And and sometimes they they mess around with the signals between first and second serves too long. I reckon scrap that, you know, make, maybe make them know what they're doing between first and seconds. That way it's just faster. It's more in your face. Yeah. So that way it's, it can be more entertaining. And even, even, even maybe a little, um, a little thing I've suggested to Eames before as, a, as, a, as an idea, because I know sometimes you can get four doubles plays with big serves and perhaps average returns and you're not getting any, not getting any rallies. And that can be really bad. I've actually sat and watched some world-class players. I can't remember which match it was, but I was like, this is boring. This is really average because they were just missing returns. I think maybe you could take away the first serve. If you're just hitting second serves, that way you're at least getting rallies, you know? That way the return's getting to play a lot more. The, 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 the net player can't just sit on top of the net and, and put the volley away straight away. So maybe maybe experimenting with a, a one serve. I, I think it would be super interesting. And I think, I think the, the points you make, um, obviously, you know, really fresh ideas. And it's always good to, to look over that. And what's happening now in tennis coming back with no crowds just clearly shows that the, the crowd factor and the entertainment factor is what drives sports, you know? So yeah. the, 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 the rules that you're suggesting are trying to increase engagement and, and entertainment factor for, for the people yeah. who are paying to go watch. Absolutely. I mean, people should be begging to have people spectating after this, this global recession, you know, tennis is going to be at the utmost lowest of importance and priority of people's lives. Cause reality is now we're starting to look at things as what is essential, what is, what isn't essential, Let's be realistic. Tennis is entertainment. Entertainment isn't essential. People are going to be thinking about how they're going to get their next meal, not what's going on with tennis. So tennis needs to adapt and it needs to adapt fast for the upcoming um, sort of global climate that we're going to be living in. And that's, and that's providing entertainment to fans, not traditional rules to suit the players. The players come second for fans, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I 100% agree as well. The, in terms of the singles game as well, where... <laughs> Where do you see the games going? Like, do you have any, have any inclinations of, yeah, like is, is, is the game style going to change again? Obviously in the last few years, we're seeing real, um, you know, mechanically well-polished academy style players coming out like the Medvedevs and the Zverevs, just ridiculous ball strikers. Mm. Uh, do you think it will keep going that way? Or do you think guys like Evans and the ability to, to be more versatile come back in or, we, we, we've spoken about it briefly as well, Marv, as well. The, the, the fact of the serve being so good and trying to learn and teach kids to, to guess and anticipate a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like the game will go more in the way of anticipation. Um, you're just looking at the guys that are coming on the scene now, like your Opelkas and your Fritzes and just your, 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 your big guys who serve well and hit the ball well. It's just, it's just going fast. As much as I'd like to see more guys like Evans mincing about there, like just drawing people in and passing them and playing just really interesting tennis. I think there's going to be less and less of that. You know, there's just going to be guys hitting big off both sides. So I feel like, I feel like there's going to be more, more of those guys playing in the future. But um, 
with that, I feel like there needs to be more emphasis on pace absorption. So not so much on just patterns of winning points, but just patterns on on how to anticipate, you know, like, because the reality is tennis isn't always played off your your racket. It's just it's learning to to guess a lot more, learning to just take those um, educated guesses on where the ball's going. Yeah, I think it's going that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I From the amount of tennis I watch, I think it already almost is sort of slowly going that way. And that's some awesome insight from you, Marvin, because it's, it's, it's just, I mean, that is the way that tennis is going. The serve is becoming so vital in the game and people, players' serves are just becoming ridiculous, as you mentioned. Yeah. I want to ask you, who, for you, some of your favourite players to watch and if the kids you coach ask, you know, who to watch and which matchups are the best, what are you telling them? Oh, it's, it's a bit of a tricky one, those two questions combined there because the players I like to watch are not the players I would really want the kids that I coach to watch because it's not really a realistic not realistic level they can get to. I like to watch you guys like Bublik and Kyrgios and Evans and Federer and, and these sort of exciting kind of guys. But um, they're also not the players that, 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 that average juniors can replicate. So it's a bit of a tricky one. I would like to see potentially more, uh, maybe the players that I, the kids that I coach, like I'd like them to watch guys like Thompson and uh, Millman, Duckworth, just those guys, just, they're just disciplined players. You know, they've got a lot of grit. Because um, reality is most of the kids that we coach aren't 6'10", you know, that you can't get them to watch guys like, you know, Isner and Opolka and stuff like that. So just get them to watch realistic, realistically disciplined six-foot guys because, yeah, most guys aren't over six foot. So you've got to try and look at the guys who are a bit smaller and see what they're doing, you know, see how hard they're scrapping, see how they're absorbing the pace, see how, they're, they, see how they anticipate, see how they lean on certain, certain serves and just see how compact their returns are and see how often they actually do see a short ball and get in. You know, they're not, they're not super talented, a lot of those guys. They're just kind of doing the right things, you know. Yeah, nah, that's it's a good point. I think you know when you look at the US draw, for example, there's so many matches, and if you just tried to flick on the TV to watch any match that came on, there's a high chance you might be, you know, bored or not entertained by the match because it's not hitting, you know, things that you like about tennis. Um, yeah. So you've, I guess, as a as a as a fan or you know a junior who who loves tennis, you've got to try and pick out those those matches that maybe are realistic for yourself as a player or that are just going to like really entertain you for different factors. I'm sure, Marv, you'll be looking forward to the, the Bublik-Edmund uh, matchup in the first round at US. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a pretty pretty entertaining one, I reckon. Um, yeah, a lot of big hitting, um, a, lot of, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of a lot of funky shots coming in from Bublik's racket. That's to be entertaining. Um, well, looking at other first rounds, there's not many mouth-watering first round affairs like there typically is. It's not, not, a, not a heap of first round matches. Uh, really good high quality one is um, Kachanov and Sinner. That, that watching that ball get crushed will just be unbelievable. Zverev and Henderson will be great to watch from a coach's perspective as well. Those guys are both so good. They're not the most entertaining in my opinion in terms of playing a lot of interesting, undisciplined shots and stuff like that. But um, from a from a functional perspective, that's just that's just an awesome match to watch first round, I reckon. Absolutely. Those are some matches that we will definitely be watching. Now, Marvin, when it comes to the, the singles game, what can tennis do to improve the marketing of some players and the overall game itself? What can we do to make it more attractive to 
fans and you know engage the fans more in the stories behind our singles players um that's a good question i think it's the marketing aspect is is extremely important right now especially as you know fed Djokovic, nadal are on their way out um and and we're into a recession and tennis will be on you know that tennis will become less important in people's lives so i feel like maybe um we need to we need to try and market players backgrounds a bit better and just have have, have a bit more a bit more of a storyline behind them you know try and try and get people to try and buy merchandise of certain players kind of like how the nba has i think we need to we need to, to to get into that a bit more you know i know i know players have their own separate contracts with like nike or adidas or, or whatever so it's hard to get into that but it'd be kind of good if people could start to get behind certain players a bit more and and players can maybe try and market themselves a bit more i know like i, I follow a lot of surfing and, and skateboarding and i know that those um those athletes, they, they're just huge on Instagram. They're just chucking up little clips all the time. And I know Kiros does really well at that. And I really enjoy going on and seeing his, his, um, what he's up to and his little funny videos and entertaining videos. But yeah, just seeing, just seeing players engage more on their social media. I feel like players have a really important role to try and keep the sport going. They can't just rely on the ATP to do, do all the bidding for them. They need to just be on their social a little bit more and just uploading funny content and really informative content and just interesting content. Cause I love, and I know a lot of other players would love to be seeing some of the interesting fast-paced training drills they're doing and seeing, seeing what keeps them, keeps them um, ticking at this high level. Um, so trying to market it like that, like similar to UFC, you know, just, just have a bit more of a, a dummy up, you know. Like I know going into to watching uh, Rafa and Kyrgios, you just know it's such a big blockbuster matchup. And it was, it was like one of the most viewed things on, on TV this year, that fourth-round clash. So just trying to get that, get that backstory of players going a little bit more and, making things become a bit more of a grudge match and what we need to do as well I reckon or not not we I have no say in this but what the ACP needs to do as well is I reckon just put a harsher penalties on tanking because you just have so many matches which are just tanks or even half tanks and you just watch it and it just I don't know people who don't understand tennis they'll say why aren't these guys trying because they don't see the, the long ruling schedules of players and, and the reasons why they're tanking because I've tanked before because you know things get tough you're injured you're burnt out, but there needs to be like a there needs it needs to be to clamped out of the game, and whether that's capping the amount of tournaments players can play. I know guys like Care and Fognini, they'll play like thirty something tournaments a year, and half half the time they're putting in crap efforts and making the sport look bad. So maybe there needs to be a cap on the quantity of tournaments players can play, or maybe we need to scrap the amount of tournaments that are going on because there are a lot of two hundred and fifty events that have like no fans in the stands, and guys are putting in half hearted efforts, and it just reflects poorly on the players. Tomic losing to Songa 2-1-1 one one on grass in Wimbledon a few years ago or whatever it was in, 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 a, in an hour. It was great that they, they took his prize money away. You know, I'm actually a Tomic fan. I like watching the way he plays, but you know, need to need stop the tanking kind of thing. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's hard because I'm a Kirov and a Tomic fan. And I know they have the ability to tank, but if, they can, if we can somehow get rid of that, it would be good. <laughs> no, absolutely. But it, it, is, it is true though, isn't it? Because you, what, what, what sport... Do you go to, like, you know, you think about rugby, AFL, like you, when do you never watch see, you <laughs> never see them tanking, eh? Yeah, like when you see people in a, in a cage, just go, all right, just just grapple me, put me in a headlock, and just beat my head. <laughs> in. I'm, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you kill me here. That's essentially what you're watching on live TV sometimes, and like it's just just demoralising, and you know, I mean, it's just it's just devastating. But the reality is, people aren't going to UFC cages and. And playing 100 matches in a year, so it's 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 a catch 22. So maybe they need we need to cap 
the amount of mm. tournaments we're allowed to play because the nature of the schedule allows tanking to happen. So there needs to be some something done about it because the, the tour is set up for tanking at the moment. Yeah, I think yeah. You, 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 the schedule is a big one. And then also just yeah, enforcing rules. Tanking is a tricky one to probably, as a, as a referee, to, to mm. call as well because... Yeah, I know. That we, we've, we've spoken about it too, where you know, the tactical tank in moments is actually a useful and oh, strategy to try to win overall. Like it's not saying that you're losing your competitiveness to win. Yeah. Um, you're kind of just but, ruining rhythm. So it's a tough thing to... to what what, what I mean and, is not, not so much like... I don't, I don't have any qualms with someone being down 5-1 and then, and then you know, just slapping a few returns. I have more, more issues with like people tanking from the outset and just being like... Mm half injured and going out there and losing two and two and you know on, on paper money it might not look that bad but yeah, yeah just like just guys rocking up and holding serve a few times and, and losing in 50 minutes is that's the stuff that will, will that people will see and be like this sport sucks why would i want to yeah. watch that you know? <laughs> and that's what we need it that's what we need to stamp out we need we need people yeah. to be watching the sport and being like i want to go back and watch that i don't know maybe maybe it could be making sets to four because you know maybe the sets are too long because if someone's down for love they're gonna they're gonna tank and 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 start thinking about the next set. Maybe if you make it sets to three or sets to four, but more of those sets, you know, you got a more a greater chance of going to a tiebreak. And tiebreaks produce the best, most exciting tennis. So mm. I don't know. Maybe maybe first six is too long. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I. I, I think so as well. When when you talk about like how hard it is to break serve in the men's game now, you know, if you if you, if you lose your serve at two one. You know, or three two. It's you just you just you you're fighting the inevitable end of that set most likely. You know. Yeah. Statistically. Yeah. Whereas whereas in in a fast four set, if you get broken at two one, you know the guy's just going to hold anyway, and the set's over. So like the the level of competitiveness is is there for. I would just like to see state. Yeah, just 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 some more some more experimentation on on scoring. I reckon. I feel like. You know, post post COVID, now we've got to really do things to to keep people interested and in. like I, I like alternative scoring and more teams events as well. Like I I tune into Labor Cup every year and then that ATP Cup, I was just so stoked just seeing more more teams events and just the players getting passionately involved. Um, so if that means scrapping more two fifty and five hundred events throughout the year to implement more teams events, so I don't know how they're gonna do it, but. It needs to be done because it's it's so exciting, you know. The teams event yeah. is a big one, huh? Like you, you see yeah, awesome. guys like Nick, yeah. for example, um, yeah. where it's like he just seeing him compete the way he did at Labor Cup <laughs> right. and ATP was goosebumps, you know. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I just sat in my room, sweaty and hot all day in January, and just watched <laughs> ATP Cup match after ATP Cup match. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah. You know, you know what I was thinking? Could you imagine if there was a tennis tournament maybe that was played um, across, you know, three weeks of the year where there was genuine teams for the first year that have like a draft where each team would, you know, draft their team of players. Could you imagine how big that would be? And then, you know, throughout the year, there's trading between teams. Teams can trade players to each other. That'd be awesome. That would just, yeah. that tennis, would just yeah. be bloody awesome. Well, it's, I'm, it's more I'm, engaged with the fans as well, and that's what we need to be to exactly. be doing. Exactly, like getting, getting fans more involved and and more and more aware of their story and keeping up to date with players, and and then that comes down to the players' responsibility of, of updating what they're up to. You know, people need to be start becoming fans of players. You know, yeah, and yeah. I also think that structure as well, boys, feeds the popularity down the rankings as well. Like we have kids in coaching 
that, you know, would not have a clue who Joe Wilford Songer is, for example, you know, yeah, unless crazy. they're going to like semis, semis finals of slams. Like they, they don't know these guys or Lucas Pui, for example. Yeah. But if you've got teams event where they're a part of a team with some of these big players and it comes down to a big match and a guy ranked 80 is playing someone else, all of a sudden you start to go like, you're cheering for that guy and you're getting to know him and you want him, you want him over the line, you know? So yeah. you're starting to get invested in lower-ranked players. Yeah. No, I yeah. agree. It would, it would just be awesome. And you mentioned before, Marvin, like being able to market players' merch and selling their merch. Imagine like being able to buy, you know, a top from one of the teams with, you know, Kyrgios's name on the back or, yeah. you know, Pui's name on the back. Like it's just, that's the type, I mean, getting proper team tennis going, you know, whether it's played a couple weeks a year. And as I mentioned, like teams can trade players to each other. It'd just be, it would just be awesome, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely some room for adjustments and restructuring in the future with that, I, I, I yeah. think. Now, you changed countries to represent New Zealand during your career. Do you mind telling us about this? Did you ever live in New Zealand for any yeah, periods? Yeah, my family, my family actually moved to New Zealand when I was 18, which I was pretty pissed off about. I grew up in a pretty nice area in Hampton near the beach, um, sort of next door to Hampton Tennis Club where I grew up. Um, and then my mum and dad um, chose to move to New Zealand. So my dad's from there. He's a classic one in 10 Maori raised kid. Yeah. He was a pretty successful musician and traveled around and with a, with a band and he ended up getting the getting fired from them and he was like well screw this i want to go move to new zealand because me and my brother weren't living at home at the time and they chose to move to new zealand and i changed nationalities because i could kind of access the funding more there because i was essentially a bit of a bigger fish in a smaller pond as to being an 18 year old you know i was my funding was dried up and and plus i'd kind of i'd kind of done a few wrong things by tennis australia as well so i feel like maybe my, my bridges had been burned a little bit because i was just a bit of a disrespectful naughty kid at that age so yeah, it was a bit of a no-brainer to, to represent New Zealand where I could access some of the funding and do some more training with some of the top guys there. But, um, yeah, it was just more of, a, more of a short-term funding issue, really. Now, you touched on your dad. Now, you're not going to get away with that one that easily. I want to really talk about this. He was the drummer <laughs> for, for the famous Aussie band, the John Butler Trio. Tell, yeah. us about, tell us about this. And surely there were some funny fan encounters along the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of people would come up to my dad and just ask for autographs at tournaments or whatever when I was a kid. Um, I got to travel with them a few times as well overseas and interstate. That's awesome. In the age of like 13 and 17. So that was pretty cool. It was definitely, definitely gave me a bit of branding points around my area with, um, with friends <laughs> and girls and, and all sorts of things. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely liked I definitely thought I was a lot cooler than I was. I was in reality not wasn't wasn't really doing that good. <laughs> I just you know, it, was, it was it was cool. And my dad my dad lived a pretty cool lifestyle, and he always supported me and my goals. And I think that's probably part of the reason why I was afforded the opportunities of pursuing a career in tennis because my dad didn't take a conventional route in in, in his profession. He sort of chased a pretty pretty difficult dream and did and did it. And I chased a pretty difficult dream and didn't do it <laughs> so that's how it ended up doing <laughs> oh mate you, you when you look back at it though you, you can see you've done a lot and it, it's it's tough to reach the rankings that you did and and get such good results in the junior so it's, it's, there's definitely a lot of success there it's easy to set yourself up to think you know we, we've spoken about this as well is is as a kid you 
you you having this thing in your mind or this delusion that if you don't make top hundred, it's an absolute failure, which which is wrong. Yeah, wrong mindset to think. Sure. Mate, no 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 disrespect to my dad, but um, definitely not as talented as yours. How yeah. and I don't know how this works really. And uh, how's it growing up though with I guess uh, a family member being quite you know successful? Is that is that something? you thought of when you were you were out there playing competing and trying to chase your passion yeah i feel like i feel like i don't think i don't think i put so much pressure on myself with him being so successful in that regard i was always pretty driven to to do well and i um i did it off my choice you know if, if, if i had pressure he probably would have made me he would have wanted me to be a musician my parents were super 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 into me making my own choice so my mum my was probably more of a driving force she could be a bit full-on sometimes she was maybe a little bit too <laughs> a little bit too invested in my tennis at some point you know but um, yeah, she was also just sticking out for me when I was a kid as well. So, yeah. Now, Marvin, just going back into the into the tennis and the juniors, what do you believe we can do to keep juniors interested and playing tennis for longer? Because there's obviously that sort of period where in time where juniors burn out a little bit and maybe decide to go away from the game. What can we do to keep them interested and playing for longer? Um, I feel like we can potentially just try and limit like, like just try and try and steer kids away from competition at a young age. I feel like so many kids will play tournaments at a young age thinking it's the right thing to do, but they're just not really even remotely close to that level. Cause as you know, at that young age, there's just some kids have, have got so many more opportunities of uh, pumped into them. So kids are going to be a lot better than other kids at a young age. And sometimes, you know, you get that freak kid like Atomic or, a, or whoever is so much better. They can just absolutely spank a kid like love and love and that that kid might have an extraordinary amount of potential but that will just deter him from playing so yeah maybe just just there needs to be more education from coaches to to parents just not to put them into such strong tournaments at a young age maybe just keep them playing pennant or or their junior comp a little bit longer before they start entering some of the, the bigger tournaments uh, but also also just um just coaches to need to try and educate kids on 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 uh on some of the more success stories that kids make from from being an average junior, you know, like some, some kids that have gone on to make it weren't that incredible at a young age, you know, so maybe just try and let them know there is a long, longer term path. Yeah. And maybe just, just try and make things more fun. You know, when you go away and, and on tournaments, just trying to put so much emphasis and pressure on, on them, you know, I, I know I had a few coaches sometimes that maybe weren't as fun as I would have liked to have been, but you know, it's, it's each, each, each their own, you know, but just, just try and keep in the game longer. Just try and try and push them into into that long-term mindset rather than just short-term yeah yeah i mean for for you i guess college tennis obviously could have been a good option maybe a little bit more club tennis you know even even just i think as a as a junior player realizing the knowledge that you're gaining can actually set you up for you know a good job as a a great coach and a good club as well um i think I think there's there's those things that are undervalued when you're young and i i don't know uh, how holistically this can be implemented because probably if someone sat us down at a young age again we'd be like what are you talking about i'm going to be top 20 you know yeah i'd um, take that goal away from the kid because you know like that's it's also a pretty good thing to have that that got that goal for for a junior but you know you gotta gotta look at the odds and be like hey mate come on let's just settle down (laughs) yeah Yeah. no i definitely believe it is is good to have you know, achievable goals. So at least, at least a stepping stone of goals along the way, so you can see how you're progressing, rather than, you know, just 
you know, receiving no, I guess, internal uh, satisfaction from, from, you know, losing in a semi of a, of a tournament, doing well, but not getting enough points that you needed and just thinking everything's, you know, a failure and your ranking's not where you want it to be. Um, and and that, that, that mental side can, can weigh you down and, and kind of really does perpetuate the, those, those feelings of being burnt out. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's just it's a matter of knowing when to, when to play and when not to play and, and just, and just to, to, to understand that it's okay to take a, take a break every now and then. I feel like sometimes I used to just play too many tournaments and then you, just be, you wouldn't even realise you're in this absurd state of negativity and it's, just, it's important to recognise when you're, when you're not feeling fresh and, and that it's okay not to be feeling fresh because you know, tennis and life is a, it's a big, difficult roller coaster, and you can have your ups and downs and, and you have these, oh. these periods of depression and uncertainty and then you have these periods where you're, you're firing and you know, it's, 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 it's a big old up and down roller coaster. So, yeah, it's, it's okay to have a kid who's really sad and not enjoying it and it's okay to take a three-month break and then come back to it. So, yeah, it's just about being, being aware of where you're at and where, you're, where, you're, where your kid's at, yeah, or your pupil or your son or daughter, whoever it is. Uh, just before we wrap up, there, there's one thing that probably a lot of people wouldn't know about you. A re- recent addition to the life is the dog, mate. Let everyone know the name of the dog and, 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 and uh, why, why you've chosen the name. Uh, yeah, dog's name's Barty, after Ash Barty. Um, I wanted a female dog so it doesn't, you know, mark its territory all over my housemate's stuff. I just decided to honour Ash Barty, the world number one Australian superstar with the name of my dog. So, <laughs> so I'm sure she'll That's be That's awesome. Yeah, Mark, mate. Awesome. Thanks for joining us here today. It's it's a great insight into the game, and like I said, it always is 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 a good, fresh, and sometimes unique way to look at it. And we just loved being able to hear your views. Um, you've had great experience in the game as a player, and and the way that you view the game now as a spectator and coach is is always awesome. And you've always got something topical to chat about. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat to chat to us today, mate. No worries. Cheers, Jed. Cheers, Eames. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Marvin, with some with some brilliant insight, really, and definitely hope our listeners enjoy this because that was an awesome chat. Cheers, boys. Thank you, Marvin, and thank you for tuning into this week's edition of Aussies Only. Great chat there with Marvin. Barker, if you've missed any of our other editions of the show, make sure to subscribe to The First Serve on your preferred podcast platform. For another week, we hope you enjoyed this week's edition of Aussies Only.
Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Aussies Only, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern. Crunching the numbers and in the huddle produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.